Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. On this podcast, we help people better understand and love those around us who have made religious choices different from the ones we would have chosen for them. I'm your host, Cherie Best. Today, I have joining me Jane. Jane grew up in the church, but watched her parents make some pretty major mistakes in raising her and her siblings. She says she was blessed to have great leaders and friends in the church and had many leadership experiences. She mistakenly thought that since she had suffered abuse and neglect as a child, she would not have trials later in life. As first siblings left the church and then her husband and some of her children, she realized that she had more to learn. This is that journey of learning. Thank you for joining us, Jane. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. So why don't you go ahead and just kind of share your story, like what happened with um, what happened with your family, your siblings, you know, whatever you want to share. Tell us that story. Okay. So um, growing up, you know, we were, I don't know, I guess a typical looking Mormon family in a lot of ways. I think there were some people who were very aware of some of the, the things going on in our home. Um, and so because of that, though, um, I feel like my siblings struggled with, um, just going to church, knowing that not everybody's perfect. And I was really blessed with some great spiritual experiences that were a foundation for me, um, and allowed me to overlook people's imperfections and concentrate on my Heavenly Father and my Savior. And I think that really was pivotal for me in everything that I did, is just having that foundation. Um, I feel like, boy, I didn't mean to be emotional. <laughs> totally fine. Um, I feel like... Um, when I had questions about the church, when I had questions about something somebody taught me in a class or something, or a conference talk, if I wasn't sure, um, and it bothered me enough, you know, I'd get on my knees and ask my Heavenly Father, what gives, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, I started young, so it was what gives. <laughs> And he always gave me an answer and he always helped me to be um, introspective about things. And I think that's, I think that's really helpful. So I watched my siblings, you know, they didn't have a lot of influence on me. I was older than uh, two of them. And the other one, we were pretty close in age. So they just didn't have a lot of an um, effect on me. I just thought, well, they're making you know, poor choices. So of course they're going to have these trials in their life. And, um, and they were all pretty like self-inflicted kind of trials. So I just kind of got used to the idea that they weren't going to be very active. You know, I still encouraged, um, I still was their friend. Um, but you know, we just didn't always see eye to eye on things, but it was okay. I felt like we still had a decent enough relationship. And it was mainly because, you know, I was the older sister that I probably got away with that. Um, mm -hmm. 
So then my plan was to marry and create this safe environment. You know, one of the things I wanted to break the chains of abuse and which I feel like I did. And um, my kids even to this day say, you know, I have no complaints about being raised by you. You know, you were a good mother. You know, you and dad were good parents. I had a great childhood. They all talk about that they had a good childhood. And um, so some of them will snidely say something about, well, except for you, we had to go to church. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any regret in taking my children to church every week. I felt like it gave them a really good foundation. They all went on missions. And I don't feel bad about encouraging that because it made them really good leaders in their employment. They all are very well employed, have homes. You know, they are intelligent people. They all graduate from college. I don't have any regrets at, you know, pushing them in those directions and encouraging them to do those things because it was part of what made them who they are. And when they made some side snide remark about BYU or BYUI or something, which they do occasionally, you know, I remind them that was a really good education. You have a really good job because of that education. I think you better zip it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the other thing is they were all married in the temple. They all went on missions. They all got married in the temple. And Um, and then afterwards, you know, they would meet up and go to the temple with each other. I I just feel like they started out really strong in their marriage. And so part of it is, um, my husband started having questions about the church and then he would talk to them about it. Some of them responded with, whoa, that's, I don't even think like that. And others were like, interesting. So they pursued some of the same reading that he was pursuing. I think the internet has a huge effect on what people believe about our church, what they believe is true. Um, I think the internet has many great things on it, but it also has some pretty angry people that are Sometimes saying truth, sometimes saying partial truth, and sometimes saying, you know, things that are, I mean, there were negative things in the history of our gospel, of our church. That's not a question here. But it's how you respond to it. It's like when my husband, we had a conversation about a book, and I read the book and did not have the same response as he did. And I remember we kind of went back and forth and I'm like, well, but what about this? But this experience made them stronger in this way, you know, things like that. But he wasn't there. He'd kind of been delving into it longer. And so he had his own ideas and he would say things to me sometimes and say, well, this is what I believe. And I would go and type in the exact words that he believed. And there would be some thing online about somebody who wrote an article and it was word for word, you know? So I don't think that it was always his words. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, he came from a really strong family. 
They always just did what they were supposed to do. And he didn't question things when he was growing up. And so that background made it shocking for him when he discovered that some things weren't perfect in the church. Now, I had already discovered that. And I had already gone to Heavenly Father as a child. You know, I'd, I had asked about things. But he had not. And I had actually, you know, I went to the neighborhood church sometimes with my friends. I went to my friends' churches with them. So I was very aware of other churches and other beliefs. And, and again, I always went and had my Heavenly Father's, like, um, background, his, like, his uh, say in what that meant that the other church believed or something. So I, you know, I always went in and asked and got confirmation of things. The other thing that was really interesting, because when I would hear somebody say something that I would go and get clarification from my Heavenly Father, I did the same thing when we were married. When we were first married, I did not have a strong testimony of the priesthood. And because of my father, um, and my husband, on the other hand, had a strong testimony of the priesthood and his, you know, father had just been a great man. And so he told me spiritual experiences and just different things about the priesthood. And we used it in our home, blessing our children. And again, though, I went to my Heavenly Father and said, here's what Jeff's telling me. Is this really true? And then I got my own testimony of the priesthood. And there were other things like that that happened in our marriage that I really didn't understand about the gospel. And he clarified or helped me understand it. And every time, you know, I didn't take his word for it. I went to my Heavenly Father and got confirmation. Wow. That ended up being integral in the change and the shift in his feelings about the church Mine did not shift because I had my own testimony. So I didn't have to rely on him. And if he had questions, he could go and have his own journey. He could have his own experience. And that's that's what our Heavenly Father gives us. He gives us free agency. Now, I didn't like this free agency at first. I was really mad about it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I was really angry. And, um, and, but I knew that carrying hate and anger around is just poisonous to our bodies. I do feel like when you carry around hate that you, um, your body responds to it physically. And I had watched that, you know, and so within other people, and I did not want that. I wanted a healthy life. I wanted to live a long life. And um, so I knew I needed to get rid of this hate and anger. Yeah. And, and you can't be happy when you have hate and anger either. Like you can't, they can't coexist. So true. So I pled with my Heavenly Father so many times. And um, finally, one day I had just a really amazing spiritual experience where light filled my entire body. And I saw how much my Heavenly Father loved my family and my husband. And that, that was the turning point for me. Now, it wasn't 
easy. <laughs> I'm not going to say that I just was completely changed. I mean, I was changed, but I still had work to do. Um, you know, you grow up with a dream of things being a certain way and that dream has died. And so you have to look at it in a different way. You have to make a different dream. Can I ask mm -hmm. you a question? Sure. Did you have to go through like a mourning, a mourning process, mourning the <clears throat> loss of that dream? Or how did you navigate that? Yeah, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I had to let that go. I was so caught up in the anger and the hate <laughs> that I probably didn't allow myself. I, you know, there probably was a mourning in there, you know, couched in all of that. Yeah. But, you know, I still had to like get along with these people who were doing things differently than I was doing things. I had to navigate, you know, um, just my church attendance when we would go visit family. Um, I had to just just navigate what I was going to be doing with my life. Um, I think that's where that's where the dreams shifted more in more in what my retirement would like look like or my future life would look like. I think that's where the morning was more. And Heavenly Father has let me know, you know, here you can do this and you can serve this way. And this is another thing you can do. And so I've been able to serve in a way that gives joy to my heart and I think that's powerful. I think service, um, whether it's a, an official calling or whether it is, you know, something that you just do for people around you, I think that that um, everyone needs to serve people. And that is um, something that strengthens me is serving people. So I think that's where my shift had to come. I needed to know what things look like from here on. Um, and, you know, as far as my family, this, there were things I was trying to reach out. I was trying to be kind because I knew how, now how Heavenly Father still loved them. And that was a comfort to me. That and, had to have been a huge thing to figure, to realize that, you know? Oh, yes. Yes. Because I adore my family. Yeah. But I during their actions and their decisions and and some stayed in the church and some left so that was the other difference and so we didn't want a division in our family yeah and that's a big deal for the the children who stay in the church to step up and allow that free agency of their siblings to happen I had to do it luckily with, I say luckily, but I had to do it with my siblings. So it was easy for me to say, well, you see how I treat, you know, my siblings. So let's just do that. And um, so experiences that we have, if we can draw on experiences from our past and how to, how we relate with the non-Mormons around us or the inactives around us, I think we can do the same kind of thing for our own family. So I had um, one child who I would think I'm having a very normal conversation with them. And then later I would get a text or an email or something saying how horrible I am. And 
how I was trying to, you know, I wasn't uh, taking them seriously or something. And, and I, you know, me, I would have just spouted off, you know, <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I would have been, you know, all over the place and in their face and everything. But I knew that wasn't going to be the way to handle any of the situations I had with my family. So I would, again, go to my knees, say, what do I say to this child? So before then, you ever responded, you would go to your knees? Oh, yes. Always. Oh, wow. Always. Yeah. And because he had let he had led me down this path. And I feel like we're given the people in our lives that are going to help us grow the most. So with that in mind, I was willing to do whatever the Lord needed me to, to do or say. And he would pretty much write the email for me. Like it words would oh. come out of my mouth. It weren't my words, definitely. Yeah. They were much wiser, much, much kinder. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was really hard. You know, it's hard to hear somebody tell you you're a bad person or tell you that you're mean or tell you that you're, you know, you're treating them, you know, unfairly or unkindly or something. Those are hard things because... Yeah. I was going to say, especially when in your mind, it's so obviously not true. Like there's no truth there, which automatically puts you on the defensive. Yes. And that's why I couldn't respond without the Lord's help. Yeah. So, um, so I would write these really nice emails <laughs> and, um, and that, that it, it took a few of those. And then, you know, years later, after I'd had a few of these, um, they commented that, you know, mom, I've been pretty hard on you. And Ooh. every time you always respond perfectly for me. You know, now that moment, you know, I want it to be this big teaching moment. Well, the spirit told me and blah, blah, blah. But I did not do that because I thought that would shut the door. And so I would just simply say, um, I, I am glad it helped you. And that's all. Wow. And, you, and then just, you just know that I always love you. So I think that those kind of things were a big deal. It's almost like they were like a little two-year-old does. They're pushing to see what their boundaries are and how are you going to respond to them in their new person that they are have decided they want to be. Like they're pushing that boundary. What's mom going to do if I do this? And it's, yes. it sounds like where especially you were, you incorporated the Lord in making that decision and it worked. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, like for example, one child um, we went out to dinner pretty soon after um, they had left the church and I, um, and he ordered wine. Now we have alcoholism in our family. So this isn't about the church. This is about my concern for alcoholism being in the family genes. Yeah. And um, anyway, but he ordered, you know, something and, I just ignored it and I just went on talking to the grandkids and talking to the family and I just ignored it inside. I'll tell you, I was seething. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really struggling 
because of my family history. I was really struggling. Um, but I just knew that I should not say one thing and he's never done it since. So, um, I feel like those kind of things that happen are tender mercies and, um, but they do test you that just guarantee you're going to be tested and they're going to just change their behaviors and you have to be ready for that. And it can break your heart or it can help you to become a stronger, more supportive parent. And I mean, it's always going to break our heart. <laughs> I think that's a natural yeah. response. Didn't feel guilty about when we're that sad, you know, when we're really sad, I think that's pretty natural. So, you know, we've had to kind of work through different, you know, a family reunion. Are we going to have alcohol at it? You know, those kind of things we have to navigate. Um, we did, we didn't say no or yes. We just, we just didn't say anything. And sometimes they went and got a beer or something, you know, sometimes they went out and got something and we knew what they're doing, but we really, all of us had kind of decided we wanted to make sure that we were sitting around the table visiting, that we were doing things together at the reunion. That was more important than what we were putting in our bodies at the time. And um, I think that worked for us. And again, you know, they, wanted to test us, you know, they wanted to make sure we knew what they were drinking, you know, and stuff and, and, uh, had different ways of letting us know that. Um, <laughs> but we just went on fun. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, we got out a lot of pictures from when they were children and had those and, showed them to the grandkids and it brought so many stories out with our children. So they were talking about fun things in their childhood. See, we still have memories. We still have happy things that happened. We did a good job raising them. So let's talk about what we have in common. Let's not talk about what we don't have in common. Oh, I love that. I think that's so wise. Talk about what you have in common, not about what you don't. I love that so much. Yeah. I feel like some of the tender mercies that I've seen are um, my children are hard workers and my children have filled their time not going out partying and being wild. I'm grateful for that. That's a huge tender mercy. Um, they, they just work really hard and they're really good parents and I love watching that. Do they teach their children about God? No, they don't. And um, and that's hard for me. But it's so interesting that when the children come to my house, they see the pictures of Jesus. They see the, you know, at Christmas time. So one grandchild said to me one time after visiting my house, she goes, Grandma, why do you love Jesus so much? <laughs> and I, I didn't hear her very well. And her father said he repeated the same thing, which I was surprised that he repeated it. <laughs> I laughed. I said, because I love him, you know, 
but they're picking up on without me preaching or doing anything, they're picking up on those things. You know, I still have times where I step on toes or say something wrong and I don't even know I'm saying something wrong. You know, it's, it's a tough navigation and I don't think it will ever completely go away just because we live two different lives in some respect. And, um, but I continue to invite them. I continue to just love them. I think, you know, at first, I think they were um, skeptical that I really loved them. And now they like know it hands down for sure. I just, they know that I love them unconditionally. And that's the spirit working. That's not anything I've done. That's spirit teaching them. My prayers have changed. I don't know about you, but at first I was praying a lot that they would come back to church and, and, you know, and they would get their heads on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I feel like I, I think I was praying for the wrong things. You know, Satan's plan was to come down here and make us all behave and make us all go back to heaven together. And that's what I would be doing if I forced them. And Heavenly Father, you know, in his very kind and wise way, explained to me that that's not something that would give them their free agency. I can't make them do anything. But we can definitely show them love and have the Holy Ghost um, visit them and remind them. And so that's more where my prayers go to, that they will feel the Holy Ghost and remember something from their testimony. I think that's a beautiful thing to pray for, for your children. Love that. I think that's changed things quite a bit. And I do the typical things. I put their names in the temple. I, you know, I do pray for them. And not just that they'll have the Holy Ghost in their home, but that they'll be able to navigate parenting. Because parenting is a hard thing for children. And, you know, my husband and I, whether we agree or disagree about the church, I feel like our job is to support them in their parenting. And so that's what we do. And um, whatever that looks like, um, and it's different for both of us because we have different gifts, but we definitely try to make sure our children know that if you need something from us, we're there. You know, we will take off work if we need to, to come help you with kids or drive you somewhere or whatever you need, you know, we're there for you. And I think, yeah, I think that's been a big deal. Just recently, and I was talking to a friend about this, we were talking about how as grandparents, we set an example of what marriage should look like. And, you know, my husband and I maybe don't agree on everything religiously, but we agree on a lot of things. You know, we have a lot of foundational things. So I'm blessed that way too. That's another tender mercy. And we both love to do a lot of the same things. So our kids see us having fun. They see us laughing. They see us going out and doing things together. 
They see us holding hands. They see us giving each other hugs. They know we love each other, even though we're different. And they are very aware of how different our views are. Wow. And the fact that we can both still hold it together and still really be friends, I think that's been just eye-opening for our children. And they've made some comments about how they need their kids to come to our house and see a functioning marriage. Not that theirs isn't functioning. Theirs are functioning very well, but they need to see that this is a long-term thing. And grandparents do that. That's what grandparents, Mm -hmm. the grandchildren. But like I said, none of it is easy. And on those days where I'm sad that I'm going to church by myself, I feel angels around me. And then I feel joy. But I have to reach out that way. You know, I can't just, I can't just dwell in sadness. You know, I have to say, okay, Heavenly Father, what can I learn today? You know, and I need a little strength today. Um, And I feel joy when I'm at church. I'm really happy there. And I'm okay being by myself. I really am. And I, you know, sometimes... My husband comes with me, but not always. But we have church friends, and he is willing to do things with them. And that's good. That's fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, it's um, it's been – some days are really great, and other days they're hard. Yeah. And that that's normal. <laughs> it is. I hope, I hope it's normal. Yeah. Take a minute and speak to those those people out there whose spouses they're struggling to navigate that marriage relationship. And you've shared some really good wisdom. Is there any anything else that you could share about how to navigate that marriage relationship with having having come to different beliefs at this point? Yeah. Well, again, looking for those positives, I think that we've done that our whole married life. So we're in the habit of looking for the positive. And um, so we have this little magnet that's on the outside door that leads from the garage into the house. And it's one that we got from the church that has the church logo and says, you know, the church's name and love one another or something like that. Anyway, and it's just always been on our back door. And we put little love notes to each other on it. And knowing that we're going to do that sometimes makes us look for the good things that that person is doing. You know, we do want to do kind things for one another. And so we we put little notes there, you know, so the other one can find them. Um, it's been fun. It's been fun. And um, we have a... You know, I had a thankful journal, thank you know, gratitude journal for years that was mine. And then I saw some podcast or some book and they said, do this with your spouse, have a, a uh, gratitude journal with your spouse. So we each have one in the door by our bed. And for a while, we put like five things that we were appreciative of that day. And then we put it on their pillow and they put it on our pillow. We did that for a long time. And then, um, you know, we got out of the habit and things got busy and whatever. 
Um, but every once in a while, we pull that out and just write some positive things and put it on their pillow. And even though we don't do it every single day, going back and looking at that journal and seeing all the things my husband loves about me or appreciates that I do. So even if your husband doesn't want to do it or your spouse, you know, whatever, your spouse doesn't want to do it, you can still do that, you know, and just say, I have my own gratitude journal, but I'm going to start one for you because you do things every day that I really appreciate. And they're such small things sometimes. I don't think you realize I noticed them. And so then just really start to notice. And it might be difficult. There, you may not think of anything that they're doing right because they're, they may, you know, they may be difficult. But if you really look hard and you ask Heavenly Father to help you, you will find little things. It might be you always put your shoes away. I really appreciate that I don't have to pick up your shoes and put them away for you. You know, you empty the dishwasher or you drive the kids to sports or, I mean, really think about even those smallest things, you know, um, you know, you take your dishes out of the family room after a show and put them in the sink, you know, I mean, anything that you can find that they do that makes your life a little nicer. I think that is beautiful, beautiful. And I think as you, as you focus on with your children, as well as with your spouse, you focus on what you have in common and what you like about them and what's good about them. It just shifts your whole mind. And and, yeah. and then you're not thinking about what's missing or what you wish it was different or what you wish they were doing. Like you, Because your brain shifts. That's great advice for any relationship in any circumstance. I just absolutely love that. Thank you for so yeah. much for, for sharing that with me. Do you have any last words of anything that you want to share? You know, Satan doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't. And he will point out all the flaws and he wants you to be miserable or he wants you to be really happy doing things that you're not supposed to be doing. Oh, so <laughs> Are two tactics, and if you are very comfortable in that space, you're not going to go to change. You're not going to change. You're not going to go to your Holy Father and ask for His help. So I think I have become closer to my Holy Father. I have learned so much about the atonement of Jesus Christ through this experience. I cannot tell you how grateful I am actually for this experience. Because I have a better relationship with my Savior. And I understand how angels really can can come down on earth and serve us and comfort us. I understand that. That is powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And Jane, thank you so much for being here with us today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey to understand and love those around us. If anyone out there has a story they want to share on how you got to a place of acceptance and love, click on the link in the show notes and apply to be on this podcast. You never know who might need to hear your journey. If you found this podcast valuable, please give us a great rating and leave a review. And please join us again next time for another episode of Just Love Them.